having our feet shod with the readiness or preparedness of the gospel of peace. I think there are several aspects to the peace that the gospel produces in our lives, okay? So there's, there's, there's several aspects to the peace that gospel, the gospel produces in our lives. And again, we're just trying to unravel this, unpack it a little bit. Um, and so what does it mean, this gospel of peace that we're supposed to have our feet shod with? Um, well, number one, uh, the peace that the gospel produces in our lives is peace with God, okay? So this is number one. And we're, we've already been talking about it. Peace with God. Romans 5.1, Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we heard and believed the gospel message that God was reconciling to himself uh, men and women through the person and work of his son Jesus, that God loved us so much that he, even while we were his enemies, he sent his son to die for us in our place, pouring his wrath against our sin upon him, upon Christ, him acting as our substitute. God's anger was appeased. That righteous indignation that we've read about, it was taken care of, it was uh, taken away, and the war between God and us was finally over. And for the first time, we experienced peace with God. And now, we have the assurance that we've been accepted by God. Our sins are forgiven. They've even been forgotten, if you will. We're forever holy and blameless in His sight. Uh, we, we are no longer God's enemies. We're His friends. We're no longer fighting against one another. Now He's on our side. He's fighting for us. And we have all these great verses about assurance of salvation. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, talking about how we are in Christ's hands and, and, and also in the Father's hands, and no one can pluck us out of him, out of their hands. First um, John 5, uh, 13, really the whole book of First John is all about assurance of salvation. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So this is all about, I think, talking about assurance of salvation. Why? Because if you doubt your salvation... If you forget the gospel, you're always questioning and struggling whether or not you're saved, you're going to be no use in the battle. You're going to spend all your time focused on yourself. The battle's over by the time you get your armor on because you're just so self-conscious about, am I saved or not? And this is the, no, you have peace with God. And I think this, this confidence of being right with God and having him be the one who provides for us and fights for us. It, 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 it leads us to the next aspect of peace, I guess. Knowing we're at peace with God produces the peace of God. So that would be number two. Not only uh, is this gospel of peace about being pe having peace with God, it's also the peace of God. One of my dear friends every Sunday morning texts me um, a Bible verse and reminds me that he's praying for me every Sunday, early Sunday morning. And this past Sunday, this was the verse, Isaiah 26, verse 3, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Or maybe your virgin says he will keep at perfect, in perfect peace 
him whose mind is stayed on him, right? Love that verse. So this is the whole idea of having peace, um, the peace of God. John 14, 27, you remember Jesus comforting his disciples when he told them he was about to leave and they got all nervous about him going away and he told them about the Holy Spirit and he said this in, in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful. And then of course Philippians 4, 7, you got, I'm sure a number of you have that memorized, Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 talks about being anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the what's the rest of it say and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus so knowing that God is on our side and that nothing can separate us from his love provides us with great courage with great confidence that we can stand firm and it makes us calm in the midst of, uh, of the conflict. We have, we have a, a complete inner peace. Even though the battle is raging all around us, we have this peace. And perhaps you've had people tell you that in the midst of some horrific trial in your life. And they're like, how can you be so at peace? And hopefully your first answer is, I have no idea. <laughs> because it's incomprehensible. It's hard to understand, right? I, I don't know why, other than the fact that the Bible promises me that he's going to provide me this peace that doesn't make any sense. But that's where it's coming from. It's from, coming from God. So the gospel provides us peace with God. It, it provides us the peace of God. But it also provides us peace with others, particularly other people of God. Again, we're in Ephesians, right? Ephesians 6. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul describing this new thing called the church. This is Ephesians 2, 14. For he himself is our peace, talking about Christ, who made both groups, talking about Jews and Gentiles, who are at opposite ends of the spectrum, by the way, diametrically opposed to one another. Talk about two groups of people who are at war with one another. He says, God is our peace, Christ is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. And might reconcile them both in one body through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both have our access in one spirit to the Father. That's the result of the gospel. That, 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 the, that, that Jew, there's Jewish Christians and there's Gentile Christians and they're all one in Christ. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, male or female, right? Slave or free man. We're all one in Christ. This is the, the, the unity principle of the gospel. And Paul goes on in, in chapter 3, verse 6. He says, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
just in case you missed it, Jews, I was just wanted to make sure you understood that I'm talking about the Gentiles. Yeah, the, the Gentile dogs, right? They are now co-heirs with you. And it all happened through the gospel. So not only has Christ secured peace between us and God, but he's also secured peace between all those who are in Christ. And what that means is whenever we get sideways or cross-threaded with a fellow believer or or a brother or sister in Christ provokes us or annoys us or offends us, we should never walk away and allow a conflict to go unresolved or unsettled. We should do everything we can to pursue a peaceable solution. Romans 12, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at what? Peace with all men. Romans 14, 19, talking about gray areas and areas of conscience and and learning how to defer to one another's weaker and stronger brothers, right? Not offending one another, not, not causing one another to stumble. Romans 14, 19, pursue the things which make for peace. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, those are the the character qualities, the attitudes that that are necessary in order to, to maintain peace, the peace that we already have. It's not like we have to work for it. It's already, it's already been given to us. It's been achieved for us, but sometimes we mess it up because we're proud or we're, we're harsh, we're impatient, we, we're not loving, we're not, we don't work at it, we're not working hard at it to preserve the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. And the point is this, talking about how does all this relate back to the armor of God, listen, Satan loves nothing more. I think this is his favorite thing, perhaps, within the church. I mean, you might think, well, no, I think it's, it's sowing you know, false believers, you know, the wheat and the tares. I think he likes doing that the most. Or, or maybe, you know, uh, uh, sneaking in some false doctrines, you know, some heresy into the church, raising up false teachers. Well, how about this? Maybe you've never thought about this, but I think one of his favorite tactics and one of his most effective schemes is to stir up strife among Christians, among like-minded Christians who, who believe in sound doctrine. And who can discern if they're listening to a false teacher or not. But he can mess that group of people as sound as they might be, as mature as they might be in Christ. He can stir up strife amongst them. And he knows that when there's division among the ranks, it makes the Lord's army ineffective. When there's infighting within the church... It distracts everybody from the mission and the gospel doesn't get proclaimed and people don't get saved and they go to hell. And that's what Satan wants. So I'll just, I'll just start a little brush fire over here, a little dumpster fire over here at Lakeside Bible Church. We'll let that burn a little bit and just kind of get everybody focused over, oh, what's going on over here? And the whole, everybody's focused over here on the dumpster fire while the world's going to hell. Well, there's a community that needs to hear the gospel right? And sadly, Satan even takes it one step further, and he gets the world to check out, you know, look in the windows and go, oh, check it out. Yeah, oh, that's, that's what it means to be a Christian? Yeah, whatever. I don't want anything to do with that mess. I got my own mess. I don't need more of that, right? 
And so Satan is so shrewd in how he does this. Look at Philippians chapter 4. I think this is a great example of what I'm talking about. Philippians chapter 4 is the account of Euodia and Syntyche, two ladies, prominent ladies in the church in Philippi, who apparently had some open disagreement. Everybody in the church knew they weren't getting along, um, whether it was they weren't willing to sit next to each other or talk to each other or whatever the issue was, we're not sure. But listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Right? Sounds similar language here. It's all about standing firm in the Lord. He's, he's, he's talking to the whole church, by the way. This letter came to the church and somebody got up and read it to the whole church. So imagine if you were named Yodi or Syntyche, because look at the next verse. I urge Yodi and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. So Paul calls them out in front of everybody. I urge you. He, he, it's almost like he's pointing to this girl. I urge you and I urge you to live in harmony with one another. Girls, come on. Indeed, true companion, perhaps talking to one of the elders there, Appealing to him, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the what? The gospel. Together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. To me, that's the most um, striking part of this whole account. When it says, hey, help these gals who used to share my struggle in the cause of the gospel. I mean, they were co-laborers with the gospel with me. They, they were teammates, and we just, we had a great thing going, and we were, God was using us to, to proclaim the gospel, and people were coming to Christ and growing in Christ, and then all of a sudden, they got sideways with one another, and they don't even talk to each other anymore. It's like they, they're on the same team, but they don't pass the ball to each other. I mean, that's the death of your team, by the way. If you got two players that hate each other's guts, I mean, you're, you're never going to be, uh, uh, win the championship, Right? You're never going to be successful if, if you don't all get along. And I think that's why Paul said in Flip, in, in, earlier in Philippians, Philippians 1.27, he said, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm, there it is again, standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So in other words, practically speaking, we're in a war and what is involved, this whole idea of having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace is, is hey, we're, we're, we're an army, right? We're, 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 we're soldiers. We're all, on the sa- we're all on the same team. And, and listen, we're going we're gonna to open ourselves up to attack, right, if we allow Satan to kind of get his foot in the door and get us sideways with one another. And, and if you're not right with one another... You're not pursuing peace with one another. Well, then Satan's winning in the sense that the gospel is not going forth the way God wants it to and attends it to through a church that's unified around one purpose, and that's to 
proclaim the gospel. So, we have these aspects of what it means to, this peace that the gospel produces, peace with God, the peace of God. Thirdly, peace with others. And then lastly, number four, is peace for others. Peace for others. And some of you may have uh, cross-references in your, in your Bible there, uh, you know, in the margin, in either center margin or on either side or on the bottom. And there's typically two verses that are referenced um, next to Ephesians uh, 6, uh, 15. One is Isaiah 52, 7, because that's what Paul was quoting here. You can tell by the fact that it's all uppercase, right? In quotes, he was quoting somewhere from somewhere in the Old Testament. Well, he was quoting Isaiah 52, 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. That may sound familiar because Paul also quoted that in Romans chapter, what? Romans chapter 10, right? Verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. And again, this is in the context of how will people get saved, right, if, if they don't believe? And how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if there's not a preacher? And so how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things? So I think the concept of being, having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace has to include a readiness to share the gospel so that others can experience peace with, peace with God like you do. And those of us who are in the Lord's army, we have been given very clear marching orders. We have been commissioned. Um, in fact, we were given the Great Commission, right? What, what is that? What's the Great Commission? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, go and make disciples, right? Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you even to the end of the age. I like how Mark records it. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, because it uses our word. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That is our, those are our marching orders. In fact, that's the verse that we have above our, all of our missionaries out there across from the resource center, that we chose that verse because it just is a reminder for us, a visual reminder that this is our, these are our marching orders. And, and Paul was so faithful and obedient to these marching orders as the, I guess, old, crusty, war-hardened general that he was, uh, he, he, he knew what he spoke of, Right? Romans chapter 1, verse 15, he said, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then I love what he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. This is Paul. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion, for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
So, we are to be sharing the gospel of peace with others. And every time we share the gospel with an unbeliever, it's like we're invading enemy territory. But that's what Christ has called us to do. He's called us to be his ambassadors of peace who, who charge headlong into the middle of a raging war for the souls of men and women. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Isn't that where we all started? This is where it all started, right? That, that God has... We're now reconciled to God. We were enemies and now we're friends. We were reconciled to God. Guess what? He has given us and trusted to us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When I was thinking about those verses, the, the movie Hacksaw Ridge popped into my mind. And if you know the story of Desmond Doss, this, this um, um, basically conscientious objector when it came to carrying a weapon into war, he, he, he said, I, I, I will never kill anyone, but I, but I still feel compelled to go into battle. And so he got court-martialed and all that kind of stuff and finally went before the, his authorities and, and they decided, hey, if you're, if, you're, if you're dumb enough to go into battle without a gun, you go and may God be with you. And so he went um, during World War II there and he was on uh, Okinawa on that Hacksaw Ridge when all the soldiers went up over there, if you saw the movie, right? And they got, they just got blasted and uh, they had to retreat and he hid up there all night, and he was rescuing American soldiers and lowering them down that ridge, um, and they, they didn't know, they're back at camp, right? They just kept coming in. Like, what's going on? Where are these bodies, where are these people coming from? And they found out later that he was up there all night, and you remember what his prayer was? He, he'd find a guy, he'd drag him to the edge, he'd lower him down, and then he'd say, Lord, help me get just one more. Help me just get one more. All night, help me just get one more. What, a, what an awesome prayer we should be praying every day. Lord, help me just get one more. Help me just, would you use me to win someone else to Christ? We're almost there in 1 Peter. One of the key passages of this letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being, what? Ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. I think that's part of what it means that you need to have your, your feet shod with the readiness, the preparedness of the gospel of peace. You need to be ready at, at, at any moment to tell others how they can have peace with God. I think the point is this, that witnessing keeps us focused and sharp in the battle. It keeps us from doing things or saying things or going places that we might do or say or go to otherwise. 
I think it's, it's much easier to resist the temptation to go along with the crowd, to go along with others when you're actively engaged in sharing the gospel with them, which also involves striving to maintain a good testimony to those who, who you're seeking to lead to Christ. Or you could say it this way, one of the best defenses is a good offense. And I think the most victorious Christian is a witnessing Christian. Because you're always engaged. Like you're always on. Right? Because you're looking. Lord, just one more. Where is he? Where is she? You're always engaged. You, 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 the, the, the power of the gospel, you're not ashamed of, of the gospel because the power of God. It's not just for the, it's just not the, the people that, uh, the only people, the people this way, uh, the, the power is felt not just by the person who's hearing the gospel, but it's felt by the person sharing the gospel. That you recognize, man, I'm part of something powerful here. I'm part of something life-changing here. I'm part of something eternal here. This is heaven and hell. I'll never forget an experience I had several years ago that reminded me of how important this, this piece of armor is, this, the, these feet that are shod with the readiness of the gospel of peace. When we go on vacation as a family or as a couple, Kelly and I, sometimes we'll, we'll just, uh, I'll usually just wake up early in the morning before anyone else and I'll just go out looking for a fun donut shop and an epic coffee shop and uh, bring home donuts for the kids and coffee for Kelly, and it's just kind of fun, and I make breakfast for everybody. And so um, a few summers ago, our family was up in Washington, and one morning I was going about my early morning routine and uh, had acquired the donuts but hadn't found a coffee shop yet. And if you know anything about the Pacific Northwest, I mean, coffee is everything, right? It's part of the culture. It's not only everything, it's everywhere, um, and there's these little drive-through coffee huts all over the place that are usually just big enough for one uh, barista to fit inside. Um, imagine there's that new uh, little coffee hut there on 105, right? You guys see it driving. It, it's like tons of those everywhere. And so as I was headed back to, to our rent house, I saw one of these coffee huts, and I swung in to grab Kelly a cup of coffee. Well, little did I know this wasn't your normal coffee hut. And I pulled up to the window, which was more like a door, and this young college-age girl stepped into the opening, and all she had on was her undergarments. And that's when my quiet time got started that day. I was completely caught off guard. I didn't even really know what was going on, what to do, what to say. And as I was contemplating doing the Joseph thing and just like, punching it, you know, in the rental car and peeling out because it shocked me so much. Um, she's, you know, she asked me, well, what can I get you? And I just kind of awkwardly asked her for Kelly's favorite coffee drink. And so she went over and started making the drink and chatting with me. And that's when I realized that this was intended to be a visual experience along with your cup of coffee. And I wish I could tell you at that moment that my initial thoughts were as pure and innocent as my motives in driving up to that coffee hut. 
and that I didn't think to myself, uh, you know what, nobody knows me around here. And is it really going to hurt to take in the view? Thankfully, those thoughts quickly fled away because it became so obvious to me that Satan had launched a surprise attack on a sleepy dad out trying to find coffee and donuts and serve his family. And I was awake now. But at the same time, I became strongly convinced that this was a divine appointment. And I just told myself, there is no way I am driving away from this place without sharing the gospel with this girl. Because this is so in my face. And, and I don't remember consciously thinking this, but it was almost like, okay, Satan, you want to go? Let's go. And so I started with the obvious. Shows how awkward I felt and my mind was still spinning. I said, it looks like you forgot to get dressed today. <laughs> Great conversation starter, I guess, right? So she ex- proceeded to explain to me how that was her uniform and that she worked for a special chain of coffee huts throughout the Northwest where all the girls dressed like that. Thankfully, we moved on quickly from that, and she admitted to me that her dad would be so disappointed with her if he knew where she worked because he was a Catholic, and she had, he had raised her to be a Catholic. And she explained to me how she believed in God but had left the Catholic Church because of all the hypocrisy she saw growing up there. And that was the end that I was hoping for and and praying for. And so I told her I totally agreed with her about the hypocrisy that she had experienced because I had a lot of Catholic buddies growing up in high school and would attend Mass with them from time to time just just so I could engage them in conversations that the next week in the locker room about Christ and and the gospel and the Bible. And so I proceeded to share the gospel with her and asked her if I could pray for her, and she said yes. And so I prayed for her, and then I left. (laughs) But when I drove up to that coffee hut, I felt totally blindsided by a satanic assault, but I drove away totally exhilarated by an opportunity to share the good news of salvation with this young gal who obviously had been blinded and deceived and had been taken captive by Satan to do his will and needed to hear that she could have peace with God. And when I got back to our rent house, I handed Kelly her coffee and told her she better enjoy it because it was the most expensive cup of coffee I ever bought. And I told her about my experience, and the first thing she said, you got to share the gospel with a woman at the well. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. But I tell that story because in that unplanned, unexpected moment of temptation, I almost lost my footing. I almost slipped and fell. But by God's grace, I was able to dig in my heels right, with the the gospel of peace, right, the the feet that were shod with the gospel, and and pivot that conversation and and turn that situation into an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good, amen? So this is practical stuff. 
having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In order to stand firm against Satan, we must have peace with God. That results in the peace of God and peace with others. We need to maintain peace with others. And we need to take advantage of opportunities that God gives us to proclaim peace to others. So, practically, three takeaways. Number one, initially, repent and believe the gospel. You want to stand your ground in the strength of the Lord? You want to be battle ready? Well, you got to get saved. You got to be a Christian. You got to be on the right side. That's where it all starts. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So turn away from your sin. Trust in Jesus Christ as the only way you can be made right with him. And, and that's where it begins to, for you to be able to stand firm and to stand your ground in the strength of the Lord. Number two, regularly preach the gospel to yourself. Regularly preach the gospel to yourself. That's a phrase you may or may not be familiar with. Jerry Bridges is someone who has written a lot about this subject. In other words, his point is that too many Christians, we think the gospel is just something uh, for the moment we get saved and then we move on from the gospel. And we just go off and into the world of sanctification and, uh, and the only time we, we, we talk about the gospel is if we're talking to an unbeliever. Where he says we should be talking to ourselves about it every day and reminding ourselves of the good news of the gospel. That on good days when we successfully, successfully fill all of our duties and we feel good about our relationship with God, as if we've earned his favor and he's delighted with us, right? No. That's not your standing with God because you had a good day and you resisted the temptations that came that day. No, even on the bad days when you miss your quiet time or you miss church or you miss that opportunity to witness and you feel overwhelmed with guilt and you feel like God is, is disappointed with you, guess what? Your standing with God hasn't changed because it was never about you and what you did or didn't do. It was always about Christ. And so we need to remember that our acceptance before God is not based on what we do or don't do on any given day, but on what Christ has already done for us. And so we need to remind ourselves every day we are accepted by God on the sole basis of the obedient life and sacrificial death of his son, Jesus. So be thinking about that, pondering that. That all of our sins, past, present, future, were forgiven at the cross. There's now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. We talked about that last time. So, repent and believe the gospel. Number two, preach the gospel to yourself. And then lastly, daily, pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Pray every day for opportunities to share the gospel. I think it's interesting, in the same context, Ephesians chapter 6 
verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And listen to what Paul asked the Ephesian church to pray for him. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And then lastly, in Colossians 4, he says the same thing, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I've also been in prison that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. He was praying, always, always praying for opportunities to share the gospel. He was asking others, pray for me that I'll have opportunities to share the gospel and that I'll do a good job. I'll be clear, I'll be bold. Again, when you have that on-mission mindset, you're not going to get caught off guard by the evil one. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this time we've been able to spend. There's just so many verses and passages that all intersect with one another, and I know this may have felt like a lot of different stuff a lot of different directions, but Lord, I pray you just pull it all together in our hearts and our minds and to help us uh, just be able to understand a little bit better and apply it a little bit um, better. What does it mean to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? So work these truths into our minds, into our hearts, into our lives for your glory and for the name of Christ and his kingdom, we pray. Amen.